It's time for episode 255 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that likes to get right to the point. I'll get right to the point. My name is Micah Sargent, and I'm joined by my co-host across the internet and possibly through some uh, some frogs in one's throat. It's Dan Moore, and hi, Dan. Hi, Micah. My 75 packs of cigarette a day habit is really <laughs> catching up with me. <laughs> uh, well, of course, you all know how the show works. We've got four topics and two wonderful guests, and I am excited to introduce the person to my left. It's web editor for Texas Standard, author of iOS Access for All, and host of Parallel right here on Relay FM. Hello, Shelly Brisbane. Hello, Micah, Dan, everybody. <laughs> the Welcome game. to the show. Thank you. And to my left, it is the editor of Mac Stories, uh, the co-host of App Stories, the creator of Blink App. So many credits, Mr. John Voorhees. Hi, John. How you doing? Hey, Dan. I'm doing really well. Hi, everybody. Well, let's go ahead and get right to the point. We'll get things kicked off with my topic. I'm just curious. Do you make use of the do not disturb style features on your devices? I'm trying to be platform agnostic in asking that, but I imagine all of you use iOS devices. So do you use do not disturb on your iOS devices? And if so, in what ways do you use them? Shelly, we'll start with you. I do. It's pretty simple. My my theory on automating things is that if you uh, if you create an automation, it should just not bother you. It should behave as expected and not require intervention. And that's the way I use Do Not Disturb. Uh, between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., uh, most notifications are disabled except for a few people who might need to call me in the middle of the night. But uh, and I'm often surprised when I pick up my phone between those hours, which I probably shouldn't do. Oh, there's that little Do Not Disturb symbol. I guess my automated process is working well and behaving as it should. So that's that's pretty much how I use it. Yeah, I I also use it basically when I go to sleep at night. Um, I'm on the iOS 12 beta on my phone, and so I've been playing around a little bit with some of the features there, including the bedtime thing that it added, where it basically doesn't even put notifications on your screen um, until it you know the end of that specified time. That's pretty cool. I actually really like that a lot because you know. I've always, you know, we've all been there at some point, right? Like, oh, you turn over in the middle of the night, you've woken up. What time is it? You check your phone. Oh, no, there's all these notifications. And you're like, oh, now I can't get back to sleep because I'm thinking about what important things people are texting me about at the middle of the night. (laughs) Um, But like Shelly, I I have, you know, sort of that pass-through list of people just in case of emergency. Um, And I do use the... um, the do not disturb while driving feature as well, which I think was a nice addition by Apple in the last version of iOS. Uh, it's occasionally frustrating when it's just like, I just want to change a song uh, or need to get some maps, but I think it's on the whole a great decision on their part. And uh, if I ever do disable it, and I'm not saying I do, hypothetically, hypothetically where I disable it while driving, I feel bad about it at least. So they've really got me coming and going. <laughs> Yeah, I use it too. I use it from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. What I really wish I could do, though, is I could set it for different time periods for different days of the week because I'd like to set that a little differently on weekdays versus weekends. But unfortunately, that's that's not possible. Um, but it's an important feature for me, especially since I work with Federico Vitici, who is seven hours ahead of me in Rome, Italy. 
So that, uh, if I don't have Do Not Disturb on, I will often ha- you know, wake up to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. text messages or something. So uh, like, like Dan, I have also been using iOS 12, and I have tried the Do Not Disturb until I leave a location. That's a pretty nice feature, uh, but more often than not, I'll just, once in a while when I'm at an event like a wedding or something, I'll just put on Do Not Disturb, and I'll eventually remember to turn it back off. I don't really... It doesn't really bother me that it's not immediately when I leave someplace. I'll just have it on for an hour, maybe two hours, whatever it is. And, you know, in fact, I'm using it right now because I don't want to be bugged while I'm recording the show. Mm, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I I use Do Not Disturb quite a bit. Uh, anytime I need to sort of focus and be undisturbed, I will use it. Uh, I've been using it with iOS 12, and it's been very helpful for me because... I'm forgetful. And so I forget to turn it off after I'm done. And with the iOS 12 option to be able to say, Hey, after this event, can you turn off do not disturb? That is so cool that it pulls it from my calendar and knows like, okay, clockwise is probably over now. So we can stop having do not disturb turned on. Um, because otherwise people at work might try to get in touch with me and I am blissfully unaware that they exist. So yeah, do not disturb, I think is great. And, you know, no matter like what device you have, I think everybody can find a use for it to really help cut back on, on, you know, being distracted, be it at night or while driving, especially. I have had Do Not Disturb While Driving turned on since it was in beta way back when, um, and sort of wrote this big piece on it because I think that everybody should give that one a chance and see if it can change their habits. Because we all like to think that we're very good about not doing, not making poor choices like that. But if you just don't even let your brain think about the fact that you've got notifications waiting for you, it's kind of nice. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic, which comes from Shelley. Yeah, so yesterday we learned that Back to My Mac would not be returning in macOS Mojave, and that got me wondering, did you or do you ever use Back to My Mac? Will you miss it? And I guess if you if you want to throw in what alternatives you might already or might be thinking about using to Back to Your Mac, what's your take on Back to My Mac? I used it for a long time, but its reliability was really flaky. Uh, oftentimes, your computers, which were supposed to sort of automatically just show up in your Finder windows, just wouldn't. Uh, and you'd have to turn it on and off again or restart your computers. It was a great idea, but it turned out to be a kind of a complicated system. And I think that flakiness really hurt it. Apple's suggestions for replacements are mostly pretty good. It really depends on what features of Back to My Mac you were using. And I think the primary ones for most people were getting access to files on their Macs while they were away from home or using screen sharing now for screen sharing i've used adobe's screens for a really long time and they have a great utility called screens connect which makes it a lot easier to log into your computer remotely without having to worry about port forwarding and firewalls and all that jazz so i highly recommend that it's not cheap but it it works pretty well and as far as file storage goes, you know, they kind of rightfully point out that they, they, they Apple points you to iCloud Drive, but obviously there's Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive. Basically, there are tons of cloud storage options with lots and lots of space. So something like that may be not as crucial. And some of these um, screen sharing utilities, including screens, let you copy files when you're in a screen sharing connection, too. So... I'm not sure how many people really used it for those people who did. Obviously, this will be a bit of a blow, but uh, I'm guessing Apple decided 
uh, it wasn't in so much use that that it was worth keeping around and the cost of maintaining it. Yeah, it's funny. Yesterday, I saw Luke Vandal on Twitter suggesting that maybe he's been was his app screens was the first app that's been reverse Sherlocked by Apple, <laughs> which I thought which I thought was very funny because uh, it kind of is. I mean, it's a great app. I use that too, Dan, and I have had a similar experience with Back to My Mac. It it was always very flaky to me. It it tended to work better. If I was on my local uh, network, as opposed to trying to remotely log into a Mac that was somewhere else, but it was just frustrating enough that I looked for other solutions and I've been using screens for a very long time and find it super reliable. And, you know, another going back to Twitter one more time, uh, I saw Steve Trout and Smith tweet that, you know, that back to the Mac's removal underscores that there's no place uh, at Apple that isn't either iCloud-based or iOS-compatible. And I think that that's kind of a big-picture, interesting take on it, because it does strike me that uh, that's one reason I think this is going away, is that it doesn't really fit in the ecosystem of things like iCloud Drive and the other aspects of iCloud. I really didn't ever use back to my Mac. Um, I remember back when I uh, was in college and not knowing what that feature was and like trying to turn it on. And then it was like, you need to turn on sharing and all of these different, uh, all these different networking features. It was like, not here, not now, not ever. Um, and then since then I had, you know, attempted to, to use it. And it just, it's just not something that I ever really had any use for personally. So, so I can't miss it because I don't know what I have and it's going away. <laughs> so I guess that whole phrase isn't going to work for me. Um, but yeah, I, I like for the people who do use it, obviously, I do feel bad. Any last thoughts on that, Shelley? Well, so way back before the dawn of time, I was a big fan of Timbuktu, which was a mm. commercial screen sharing and file sharing program before Back to My Mac even existed. But I also ran a mail server on a Mac at that time, and I needed to maintain it. But I experienced the flakiness when Back to My Mac first came around, and then I completely forgot it existed. And I use screen sharing for local screen sharing in my house a lot because I want something off my laptop, and for whatever reason, it's I need to connect to it from my iMac in the other room. But I don't use Back to My Mac for that, and I've never used it for remote connections. Anything I need to connect to my Mac for remotely now is about file sharing, and I've used – I have Dropbox, Google Drive, and iCloud Drive all set up. So the file sharing aspect is the only thing that remains, and it, I just um, – I, I am sorry for those – the people that probably use it are those that are going to be the most frustrated trying to find alternatives. There are lots of alternatives. Mm -hmm. I use uh, VNC servers to connect my iPad to my Mac on occasion, and those mm -hmm. still exist. So, so that's the closest I continue to come. But for those people that relied on Back to My Mac, and I don't know any of them, um, I think we're going to have to you know, help them go through this dark time and figure out whether remote desktop or Microsoft desktop or any of the various tools out there uh, that ha provide the same options are available or perhaps get them to rethink whether they actually need the screen sharing aspect and, and, and maybe a little different strategy as far as file storage so that they can get to the files they need uh, remotely because it is absolutely possible to do. Excellent. Wow. We have already reached halftime, folks. I'm so proud of us. Uh, I, of course, uh, would like to take us to halftime. And today, that's going to be brought to you by our friends at Away. Away is a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers. That's why they've made smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. Amen. Now, what do you need most while you're traveling? 
probably more battery. And when you buy an away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge of that battery. If you go to awaytravel.com slash clockwise now and browse away suitcases, you're going to see premium German polycarbonate that's going to have unrivaled strength and impact resistance while remaining lightweight. And folks, I can tell you it is indeed lightweight. I have a really pretty dark green away backpack that uh, away sent me. And I, you know, they, they talk about the, the battery being the, the coolest feature, but for me, it isn't the battery. It's the fact that it comes with a waterproof laundry bag so that you can put your, if, if you go swimming while you're on vacation or something, or, you know, just like having a place to put the clothes that you've already worn. It's very nice. You just drop them in that bag, zip it up. It stays closed. It's got that barrier. So you're not mixing clean clothes with not so clean clothes. It's fantastic. So you can travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash clockwise. And if you use the code clockwise at checkout, you're going to get $20 off any of those suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash clockwise with the code clockwise for $20 off. Thanks so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. And Dan, it is time for your topic. Why, thank you, Micah. Uh, so once again, Twitter has ignited some controversy this time, uh, most recently by discontinuing the APIs that provided services for a lot of third-party clients like TweetBot and Twitterific. So you can still use the clients, but some of the features are now not available. This, of course, along with of all of Twitter's existing ongoing problems with content moderation and the like, have prompted lots of people to jump ship. And the current favorite for a place that a lot of people are going is the service Mastodon. So my question is, have you considered moving to Mastodon? Uh, have you tried Mastodon out? What are your thoughts on that? John? So I have tried Mastodon. Of course, I ran over there and got my username. So I would have the same username everywhere uh, as you do. But I don't think I'm going to be switching anytime soon. I wouldn't rule it out in the future. Uh, my relationship with Twitter, I suppose, has evolved over over time. I'm, I'm unhappy, like a lot of people, with the way Twitter has run its business and a lot of the uh, things that have happened over the last several weeks. On the other hand, it's also a place that is really a publishing platform and a way for us to publicize what's going on in Mac stories and app stories. And I'm not going to leave that. And then, so that's in that sense, it's a business platform. It's a place for marketing. And that's not true for a lot of people, but it is true for what I do day to day. It's probably less of a place that I chat with my friends now than it was maybe three years ago. And that's in part because the atmosphere over there is not what it once was. Um, and I miss that. But I do have, I have found ways to kind of keep in touch with people that are separate and apart from Twitter. But I don't see leaving Twitter. Uh, for Mastodon. Now, I, I did go over to Mastodon. I have the account. I haven't really participated in any meaningful way so far. Uh, it's it's an interesting model. I think the federated model is is potentially a good one. I do find it to be the type of setup that I think is a little geeky and going to be a little hard for a lot of people to really get into. I don't have an issue with it personally, but uh, I do think it's a little harder to use and dive into from Twitter when you're talking about things like instances and what which group are you in and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm there, but I'm not really there yet, and I'm going to keep an eye on it. 
And in the meantime, I'm going to keep uh, tweeting away on Twitter. So I shared my thoughts um, last week on Twitter itself and why I think it's important, why I think it's still important to me. Um, that said, though, I am uh, using Mastodon. It's been fun uh, trying out this other service and seeing what it's like. And um, in in its infancy, I think it, it tends to be a lot of fun because you sort of get to be part of the the kickoff and a lot of your friends are there and you are kind of building the service in and of yourself, or at least making it something that people want to be a part of. Um, so Mastodon has been fun in that way. I think there's a lot of people right now sort of settling in and trying to figure out, oh, should I hop on my own instance? Should I stay on this one? What the heck is an instance? What's a federated timeline? Is this the federation? I don't understand what's going on. Uh, it, It's a little confusing, but it's fun. It's fun. And so I'm going to keep having fun on the service. And if the service takes off, then maybe that's where I'll go next. Uh, But for the meantime, I am, I have my foot in both, in both worlds and will continue to keep my foot in both worlds. So we'll see what happens. So as to Twitter, uh, like John, I, I, find it indispensable for marketing, for my books, for my podcasts, anything I'm doing that people could potentially want to know about. Uh, I've used Twitter and been very successful at it. And, uh, you know, I've been on Twitter long enough that I, I do maintain relationships through Twitter. It is probably not the same as it was once, but I still find it effective in marketing. And I've been really hardcore about curating my timeline and who I follow and the like so that I have avoided a lot of the negativity of Twitter. Perhaps that means I've been more cautious than I should be, but I can, can, can continue to enjoy it. And I'm unhappy about the API situation, but be it as it may, all the work I do, whether it's for the, the radio show, for my podcast or the book, depends on Twitter. Uh, as far as Mastodon, honestly, I haven't been there yet. And when I go, it will be because for professional curiosity, I need to know what's happening over there. I have friends that are big fans of micro.blog and have encouraged me to come over there. And I have an account and I've been there. But the sort of brain power required for me to decide how to interact with either of those platforms has has been occupied with other things lately. I just haven't gotten to it. And uh, the, you know, the thing that makes you switch social networks is less the fact that the previous network is bad that and that more the fact that your friends are there. And when, when your friends move, you tend to move as well. Uh, and I'm sure it will happen, but it hasn't yet. And I certainly don't think it's going to be a Twitter replacement, but I do think it may be a way to have social interactions that, that I frankly I do miss from Twitter. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by the way that Mastodon has set itself up. I agree that the the techiness of it is probably going to be off-putting to your casual user. Um trying to figure out what an instance is, for example, is already a little bit confusing. <laughs> right now I'm I've been playing around with Mastodon. Um I'm still on Twitter. I'm not planning on leaving Twitter anytime soon for all the reasons that both Shelley and John described. Um, but I'm intrigued to see if there's another space to be carved out here. I think Twitter is um, right now still kind of at the height of their powers, but these things don't last forever. Um, you know, just ask MySpace and Friendster how they're doing these days, uh, and, or even AOL Instant Messenger. So I think there's uh, an opportunity for other services to do some of the things that Twitter 
isn't doing well, but none of those necessarily mean that they'll just be like a out and out Twitter replacement. So I, I like to keep my hand in because I like to know what, what what's going on and what, what these new technologies are, but uh, I'm not so uh, optimistic as to think that we'll be able to shut down Twitter and all the badness associated with it anytime soon. But thank you for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our last topic today, which comes from John. All right. So a couple of days ago, Mark German reported for Bloomberg that Apple is working on a new pro-focused Mac mini and that it's coming in the fall. I wanted to get everybody's take on what that means to them. What kind of features do you think we'll see? And what does it mean for a mini to be a pro mini? Pro mini. Well, it's probably got to be space gray. Um, probably got to come with a space gray keyboard. No. Um, I think that just means that we're going to see a spec bump that makes it less of a machine that one can purchase for the purpose of like having a, a Mac in the house and more a machine that can actually do the work that a pro would want to do on the machine. I, I feel like it's going to be sort of a tiny version of the expandable and configurable uh alleged mac pro and i think that's what's going to sort of make it this pro device this is going to be the mac mini that a professional or a creative professional can use to either supplement their existing machine with uh, sort of like a home media device or will serve to sort of scratch the itch of, of folks who like to be able to configure their devices. Shelley, what are your thoughts? I actually agree with a lot of what you say there, Micah. I, I feel like the spec bump is going to be the most important thing. And, and some of this is kind of wishful thinking because this is what I, a kind of a machine that I want. My hot take has always been that laptops are a poor fit for pro machines. And because of the life cycle of various machines, people bought laptops to do audio and video production and publishing and that sort of thing. And that never really made any sense because there's always going to be a premium associated with a portable device and you have to have a display. And it seems like a pro Mac mini, which is completely configurable, allows you to choose your own monitor size and quality of your choice, but that has a high enough performance processor in there that you can get work done. It seems like that is a completely logical next step. And it also gives them a little more room at the top end, it seems like, to, to make that Mac Pro expensive and as, as, as high end as possible, but still provide an alternative for the Pro user who just really wants power and who doesn't necessarily want to carry, they may not want to carry a laptop any anymore at all. They may replace it with an iPad or they may want to reserve that laptop for what laptops are usually thought of as doing as being a portable and the Mac mini is sitting there at home grinding out audio and, and video production or whatever other creative pursuits uh, somebody might want to do on them. So I, I look forward to it. I'm going to steal a line from my friend James Thompson when I was talking about this with him the other day. And he said, I think pro is just code for expensive. Yeah, right. And, and I think that's interesting, right? Because, you know, as we were just talking about, there's a lot of there's a lot of pro stuff going on at Apple these days in the Mac, which is an interesting choice because while professionals are a chunk of the market, they're probably not the biggest chunk of the market. And to have not only these really powerful iMacs, but an iMac Pro and a forthcoming Mac Pro, and a professional Mac Mini, <laughs> seems like a lot of options for a segment of the market that's actually fairly small overall for Apple. And I, I'm kind of curious what that means when it comes to something like a Pro Mac Mini. Does it have all these features that people, uh, you know, professionals are going to want 
or is it just sort of the, the version of the Mac Mini that we've already seen, but with kind of a spec bump in place, which would be fine. I'm a big fan of the Mac Mini. Uh, I would like them to take it back a little bit more to the upgradable past. Um, the current Mac Minis are not very upgradable. But, you know, they obviously have to leave room at the top of the lineup for things like the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro there. So I'm kind of curious to see how they decide to position it. Um, as far as, you know, the uses of such a thing, I think the server co-location market for Mac Minis is actually pretty big. And I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to the Mac Mini is it fills, it may fill a fairly small slot in the market, but it's one that none of the rest of the Macs really handles very well. And I'm glad to see Apple recognizing that. I'm just hoping that if they do decide to release a, a sort of significant update, that it then isn't another four years before they update it again. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Dan. And and I think my thoughts on this are a little bit closer in line with yours than anyone else's. I I look at the Mac Mini lineup today, and at the bottom end, we've got a 1.4 megahertz processor with four gigabytes of RAM and a 500, 500 gigabyte spinning hard drive. That's going away. I sure hope it is going away. And and that's what I think this is about more than anything else. When I've bought a Mac Mini in the past, I've always started right around the $1,000 level because that's where you started getting things like uh, 8 gigabytes bytes of RAM or 16 or you know SSDs, that sort of thing. But I think the, the floor is going to be reset with SSDs and more RAM and that we're going to see this become $1,000 and up type of product that's not really geared towards the switcher market like it was when it was first introduced so many years ago, but more geared towards getting work done, servers, uh, home entertainment systems, home servers, that sort of thing. I think that's where it's going. That might not be what some people would consider pro, but I think that that's kind of the case with more than just the mini. I mean, you look at the MacBook Pro, there are a lot of people who tell you that the MacBook Pro is not really a pro Mac, uh, but that's the terminology that Apple is using. So I think this is just going towards a higher end. And in a cynical view, I think as James would put it, the expensive Mac. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's what I think they're going to do in the fall. Excellent. Well, we have reached the end of the show, but we have just enough time for a bonus topic. Before we get to that bonus topic, though, I want to tell you about SaneBox. Probably every person listening to this show has something they don't like about email, like maybe email. And that's why you need to try SaneBox. While it would be lovely, it's not practical to just delete all of your email. Uh, yeah, that's true. There's undoubtedly, there's undoubtedly important stuff in there that you have to deal with, but one of the big problems is that all emails kind of look the same. And so at a glance, it can be hard to figure out what needs your attention and what doesn't. So what if your email could be pre-sorted before it even gets to your inbox? That's what SaneBox does. It sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff to different folders. So the only messages in your inbox are the ones you need. And guess what? It works seamlessly with your current system and with any app. And one of the best features SaneBox has is called Black Hole. All you do is move an unwanted email into that folder, and you're never going to hear from that sender ever again. That is one of my favorite features of SaneBox, because in the past, I've tried using that unsubscribe button a hundred times, and then also doing the thing where it tricks the server into thinking that the email bounced whenever it was delivered, and none of it ever works. Those senders still come through. Well, SaneBox takes care of that for you with Black Hole. It is fantastic. So to help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we've worked with SaneBox to get you a great 
deal. You go to sanebox.com slash clockwise today, and you're going to get two weeks of a free trial and $25 of credit just because you listen to the show. No credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash clockwise. You know how to spell our show. Thanks so much to Clockwise for sponsoring this week's episode. All right, folks. If you were a wrestler or a boxer or any type of person that comes out to entrance theme music, what would be your entrance theme song? This is the topic that I thought about hardest. (laughs) Yes. And I have chosen Patty Griffin's Flaming Red, which starts out with like real jangly guitars and then just sort of, and and I imagine myself having dyed my hair flaming red on the nose like that. So that's my choice. I love it. I love it. This is actually too hard of a question for me. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to go meta and pick the Rocky themes. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you step into the ring, it's all about intimidation. For me, it's going to be Highway to Hell by ACDC. Mm, that's a good choice. <laughs> I consider it an ACDC. Nicely, nicely chosen. I would definitely come out of the the back room blaring Aha's take on me. And <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I would be like darting and bouncing all over the place with every do 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 Oh, it'd be so much fun. So yeah, I think those were all excellent answers, but Shelly gets bonus points in my heart because that was very creative and uh I'm looking forward to the red hair. Um <laughs> we have reached the ep- the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our wonderful guests, Shelly Brisbane. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for letting me come on once again. And John Voorhees, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. It's been really great being with you. And Micah, here's hoping that next week my voice doesn't sound like it's being processed through some sort of filter. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a little Amy Winehouse. It's good. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> well, until next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>